Turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6, known as the Shema, the center of the faith of ancient Israel, Deuteronomy chapter 6. We've had a weekend of learning how to parent and learning how to parent better. I had session last night and they're about to have a session during Sunday school. Parenting is so difficult, isn't it? The reality is that, well, at least from the dad's perspective, the baby is so much easier when the baby is in the womb. When they come out, they start all sorts of dangerous and destructive behavior. They start putting things into their mouths and, well, they keep you up all night crying. They don't cry when they're in the womb. There's no trouble there. Parenting is not easy. You bring the baby home and you wonder with that first in particular, we don't know how much to feed her. Is she going to die? I don't know. I don't know if she's going to make it. It'll starve to death. And discipline. Well, if we are too lenient, he'll be so spoiled rotten that everyone, everyone except for us, will smell him coming down the hallway. But if we're too strict, we will crush her spirit. We will make her so shy and timid that, well, when she gets to college, she'll fail speech 101. Did someone say college? And how much is college tuition going to be 18 years from now? Making the decision to have a child is momentous. It decide to forever have your heart outside of your body. Bringing that baby home from the hospital is tough. If you think that's tough, wait till you face adolescence with this group. About 13 years later, Victor Strasberger, uh, MD, Chief of Adolescent Medicine University of New Mexico, recalled the parents who brought their adolescent son in because they were sure that his symptoms were the sign of a brain tumor. Well, the expert in adolescent medicine examined their child and said, nope, this is normal teenager, this is not a brain tumor. This morning, I want to focus on a few principles for parenting. There are a lot of different principles that I could say, but I want to give you, I want to focus on four. First of all, parent by being. Parent by being. You've heard the old adage, what you are speaks so loudly that I cannot hear what you're saying. What you are speaks so loudly that I cannot hear what you're saying. Most in life, these children, most of what they receive will be caught from you and not taught by you. You have to parent by being. And kids are always looking. Even when you don't think they're looking, they are soaking it all in. When you thought I wasn't looking, you hung my first painting on the refrigerator and I wanted to paint another when, I, when you thought I wasn't looking, you fed a stray cat, and I learned that being kind to animals is a good thing. When you thought I wasn't looking, you baked a birthday cake just for me, and I learned that the little things to others are important. When you thought I wasn't looking, I watched as you, say, you said your prayers, and I learned that there was a God, and a God that I could talk to any time. When you thought I wasn't looking, you kissed me goodnight, and I felt loved. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw tears coming down your cheeks, and I learned that sometimes things hurt 
and it's okay to cry. When you thought I wasn't looking, you cared, and I wanted to be everything that I could be. When you thought I wasn't looking, I looked. I wanted to say thanks for all those things you did when you thought I wasn't looking. Parent by being. We must lead by example. Most teenagers, Gallup polls tell us more than half teenagers don't really have an idol. It's not Mother Teresa or Patrick Mahomes. It rather, when it comes down to it, it is really the parents that are the guideposts by which our children do life. Psychiatrist Henry Gall asserts that it's important for teens to have someone to imitate, to idolize someone who gives them strength and motivation. James Brewster, a 17-year-old in Albuquerque, says, stars and sports figures are not my role models, not to me. You should look at your parents. They are the ones that will always want the very best for you. Emily Horaeus, 15, from San Ramon, California. My mother lived in a teeny tiny town in Pennsylvania and lived so poor she made the best of it, and she moved on, and she graduated from college, got a better life, and I just think my mother is really, really neat. Matthew Ottman from Omaha, my dad is the most influential person in my life. I have many of his mannerisms. I look like him. My speech patterns, I have the same outlook. Jenna Ward, 16, from Atlanta. My mother has managed to raise two children all by herself and provide for us in an incredible way. When I think about her income, I really, really respect her. Parent, parent by being. As parents, we teach by example even when we don't intend to. Our kids look at us and they decide what we stand for. They know if we are for real or not. We can talk as much as we desire, but the reality is the first things that, that infant does home from the hospital is they watch. They watch before they understand words with understanding, and they will not let us off the hook. Doesn't matter if you're a school teacher or a preacher, your kids are not going to buy the party line. They're going to watch you, and they're going to form their own opinion. We can't teach our children to forgive if they see us holding a grudge against another family member. We cannot teach our children to forgive if they watch us hold a grudge against a member of our family. We cannot teach our children that a relationship with Jesus Christ is important, that being part of his people, the church, is paramount if they watch us sleeping on Sunday mornings, not making a priority of God or his people or his house or his day or his worship. They look at to see what we do. They realize what we all realize, that you can't, you can't tell what a person stands for by what they say. You can tell what a person stands for by what she does. The only real measuring rod is our actions. It's dangerous to have to be a parent by being. There's no way to cheat. There's no way to avoid the dilemma. Your children are watching. They look at you. They look at me. They see right through us for who we really are. A counselor wrote these words. As a parent, have you ever had the courage to say, I'm sorry? Say, I'm sorry to a child. 
It's difficult to do, and my father was not very good at it, not at all. I remember working with him in the backyard when I was 15 years of age on a Saturday, and he was particularly irritable this Saturday, and he crabbed about me about everything, and so I worked harder, and I tried to please him, but the more I did, the more irritated he became, and finally he yelled at me over something very petty, and I'd had enough. I threw my rake in the yard, and I turned, and I walked off, walked across our property. I walked down the street the whole time. My dad is demanding that I come back. It was was one of the few occasions that I ever took my dad on like that. I meandered around town for a little while, wondering what would happen when I finally did have to go home. I ended up at my cousin's house across town. After several hours there, I admitted what I'd done to my uncle. My uncle said, you better call home. I felt my knees quaking. I called my dad. Stay there, he said. I'm coming over. To say I was scared, Rice and Counselor, would be a big understatement. Dad arrived in a short time, and he said he wanted to speak to me alone. Bo, he began, I didn't treat you right this afternoon. I was riding your back for no good reason, and I'm sorry. Your mom and I want you to come home right now. It was a tough moment for my dad, but he made a friend for life. And in doing so, he taught me something about apologizing that would some, someday be useful to me as a father, parent by being. But secondly... Share your faith with your children. Look here at Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 2. So that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all of his statutes and his commands which I commanded you all the days of your life that your days might be prolonged. Look at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Shema, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them. Look at that. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, and you shall walk by them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. Look at, down at verse 20 and verse 21. When your son asks you in time to come, saying, What are the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments mean which the Lord commanded you? And you shall say to your son, we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. We must make our values their values. We must make our God their God. Dr. James Dobson remembers a time when his own career, the early days of his success as the family counselor, all the activities he said brought me a busy schedule and the financial trappings that go with success. But my own dad, my own dad was not impressed. He watched my hectic lifestyle and all the time I spent on the airplane, he felt obligated to express his concerns. He did so in a lengthy letter which had this paragraph at the center. Now I want you to listen to these first sentences carefully. I've observed that the greatest delusion is to suppose that our children will be devout Christians simply because their parents have been. It is the greatest delusion 
to suppose that our children will be devout Christians simply because their parents have been or that any of them will enter the, uh, the Christian faith in any other way than through the parents' deep travail of prayer and faith. And this prayer demands time. Time that cannot all be signed and conscripted and laid on the altar of career ambition. Failure for you, son, at the point of your children would make all the success in your occupation a pale and washed out affair indeed. The greatest delusion is to suppose that your children will be devout followers of God simply because you are. So we begin to drift away from the church because we don't realize our parents had us there. We think it just automatically goes to our children. It will not go to your children if you do not put the time and the work in and the devotion in and the faithfulness in in every way. We begin with our baby dedications by praying for that baby's day of salvation. And as a church, we teach them the songs of faith. They just sang you, David and Goliath. They know the story because they've learned it in song. Julie McKimma said her parents gave her the greatest gift as a child that any parents can give. It wasn't having all the toys that she wanted or it wasn't never being punished or sent to a room, but it was rather being raised in a church that taught her the truth about God and the story of Jesus, his crucifixion and his resurrection. She said, I was adopted into a family. They had two boys. They were a little girl, so they adopted me. When I was five, we started going to a Pentecostal church, she said, an Assembly of God church. And every time the doors were open, we were there. And I love Noah's Ark story the best. And I had the plastic boat, the little animals. I would walk them up the ramp into the boat. We must share our faith with our children. A young minister tells a story about when he was a little boy, his dad was a preacher too, and he was growing up. He could tell his dad at the dinner table was eating in a hurry, just kind of cramming it down. And the little boy looked at his dad and said, Dad, are you going somewhere tonight? He said, yes, son, it's church visitation night. He said, well, what's, what's visitation, dad? His dad was in a hurry. He said, oh, it's when people in the church go out and they visit with people in the community and they listen to them and they pray with them. And it's just a good time to visit and have fellowship together. Little boy got quiet. Finally he said to his preacher dad, I wish somebody would come visit us tonight. The dad went off to visitation with the church, and about 15 minutes later, there was a knock at the door. And the dad his, opened the door, and there was his dad. His dad said, I'm the preacher of the church next door, and I've come to visit with your family tonight. He said, We got on the floor. We played games. We had snacks. Pass your faith to your children. Here's a third thing. Not only parent by being, not only share your faith, but, but don't rain in your child's parade. Frank Peretti, the author of The Present Darkness, remembers the dad who didn't rain on his parade. And I sound a whole lot, my child was a lot like Frank Peretti, so I'll use Frank's story instead of mine, the same sort of thing. He said, you know, it never entered my mind, he said, that we wouldn't succeed in building a full-size blimp in the backyard. But dad never flinched at the idea. Just be sure the grass is cut 
You don't leave boards and nails hanging around and put my tools up and, and don't kill yourself and dad would let us do whatever. I had plenty of nails and boards because the previous summer we built a 24-foot model of the Titanic. And, well, it didn't get much past the kill stage. And so we had a sizable pile of two-by-twos and nails back there. And my brother and I drove all the nails out. We straightened them out on the, the porch. And, well, we had at it. What a feeling driving that first nail. It was the same feeling I had when we started building that mad scientist lab in the basement, all complete with a monster. And we used my dad's camera to make a blockbuster film we were sure was going to win an award. Or then we started making hot air balloons by laundry bags and raining them down the neighborhood. Or we got those two old lawnmowers from the Goodwill. We're going to take the engines and put them on the airplanes we're building out of our go-karts and on and on and on. And Dad didn't even get upset when we dug up the alley because we were creating a world's fair right there back in our alley. Dad never flinched. Dad never said that's a stupid idea. Dad never said it'll never work, or Dad never said, remember the last project and what a mess you made. As long as we put the tools up and didn't kill ourselves, he let us do it. Don't rain on your child's parade. Tony Campalo, dynamic Christian communicator, he said, my mother had a way of minimizing my failures and maximizing my successes accentuating my accomplishments. Over and over again, she would tell me how proud she was of anything that I did. And he said, I overheard her talking to her friends. Boy, he didn't have the advantages of the other kids. Not like the other kids in the neighborhood. But look how well he's doing in school. I heard her say, he wrote, did you ever think my boy would be that successful? Fourth and finally, give your child your blessing. The Bible is full of stories about, y'all remember, Jacob and Esau both wanted the blessing from Isaac and how we all want our parents to bless us. That's a, a typical theme in the scripture that we want the blessing from our parents. Too often our children get the idea that our love for them is based upon their success or some accomplishment they might make. And our children need to know that we love them with a no matter what kind of love. Because they can only understand that God loves them that way if they know that you love them that way. Our children must know that we love them with an unceasing, never failing, never high and low, but constant love, just like God loves them. Of course, we have to discipline them, both their actions and their attitudes. But we must never tie that correction to their personhood or their sense of value or their self-esteem. When a child feels she can't live up to a mother's expectations, maybe she can't live up to God's standards either. We cannot diminish our children. We cannot destroy their self-confidence. Some of you here in this room and some of you watching my way of television, you know I speak the truth. And even today, as an adult, you're trying to get your parents blessing and approval and love. I'll never forget, I was a chaplain at Baylor University in Dallas during seminary. And a gentleman who died was... 95, and I went in to be with the family, and he had two sons there. 
The boys were about 77 or 78 years old. And I was talking to them about their dad who had just died. And one, one of the boys said to the, other, to the brother, tell the chaplain, tell the preacher what daddy just said. And on his deathbed. Ninety-five-year-old dad finally told his 77, 78-year-old brother sons, I love you. Don't wait. Daily give your child your love and your blessing. Sometimes we plan for our child to be a brain surgeon and she really enjoys cutting hair and she feels a disappointment and you can't hide it and she forever feels like she lives in the shadow of your displeasure. Thomas Bailey, a state superintendent of schools said, there must be something of an average child or a child with average ability, but I can never find a parent who thought so. Not once. We want our kids to be superhuman. So they can be superhuman adults. Sometimes we push too hard. And our ki kids are uncertain of our love when they fail. Christian singer Larnell Harris remembers unconditional, relaxed love. He said it was a warm spring morning. We were returning from the daily chore of slopping the hogs, feeding the other animals. It was the most unexpected question I'd ever heard from my daddy. We were walking up Randolph Hill, the only road that led to our, to our house, and my dad said to me right there, Lonnie, you want to race? Well, I consider myself pretty fast in those days, said Larnell Harris. I had a reputation also of never turning down a challenge. But to race my dad? What if I beat him? I might have to slop the hogs for another decade because it'd make him mad. And what if I didn't beat him? Then I'd have to tell my, my friends at school that my old man dad beat me. And besides, he's 25, he's old, he could have a heart attack or something like that. <laughs> he said, I thought in my mind in one moment, if, if I run this race with my dad, my mother won't have a husband and I might not have a dad. While I was going through all this in my, hat, my head, I regained my composure, and I said to myself, Lonnie, this man has challenged you, and that's that. And then before I knew what was happening, my dad interrupted all those thoughts. I think he was trying to get a jump on me. He said, ready, set, go, and off my daddy went home. In the distance, I could see my mom there on the front porch waving her hands and cheering as if she were cheering for her favorite team. It was nip and tuck. It was neck and neck. But soon it was all over. The next thing I remember, the three of us were lying in the yard gasping for air, laughing so hard, tears were running down our faces. Dad's laughter was probably due to the fact that it had been a long time since he had done a 30-yard dash. <laughs> my mom gathered us both in her arms, and I was laughing because I discovered my dad could run. He could really run. When I had kids of my own, says the famed singer, I realized another reason that memory was special. 
It was special because it was a moment typical of my parents. Dad and mom always busy, trying to make ends meet and dealing with all the things that grown-ups have to deal with, always took time to enter my little world. Oh, yeah. Who won the race? It didn't matter. Let's pray. Well, God, the most difficult task you've ever given me or anyone in this room is being a good dad or a good mom. It's so hard and every child is different. Our patience gets tried. But may we renew ourselves this morning to being your representative on earth in their little worlds and above all else to make sure they know our Jesus. They have a foundation. Father, if there's someone here in this room, a, a child or an adult, that this would be her day or his day to call Jesus Lord, I pray today that they'd respond to the the urging of your spirit. Maybe there are others who need to be a part of a church like this who invest a whole lot into passing that faith to the next generation because we really truly do care about these kids. Thank you for all those who work with them here in the church on staff and volunteers. It takes hundreds. And we're grateful for each one. Bless all these little lives and they may, may they know of your love through our love. In Jesus' name, amen.